welcome to Spirit Connection with Doug Addison. Get ready to hear God, encounter the supernatural, and discover your destiny. Doug is a prophetic speaker, author, and coach whose message of love, hope, and having fun reaches people around the world. Connect with him online at DougAddison.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Spirit Connection podcast. You know, God's speaking all the time, and He uses the prophetic ministry to open up the heavens over us to help bring times and seasons to us to understand what is for now, what is for later. So maybe your experience with the prophetic might be different than someone else or even mine. Many people have had a bad experience. Maybe many people have had good experiences with hearing God. Now, we've had some strange examples in the past, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but just reporting that God is speaking all the time, and there is a new encouraging sound coming from heaven. There is something new flowing. Now, Maybe you've been following my podcast and my blogs for a number of years, uh, many of you, uh, or maybe you're new to it. I release daily prophetic words, monthly and yearly words, and this is because I have a style called the Issachar anointing. That's the sons of Issachar in the Bible. We're known for times and seasons, so I have that type of prophetic gifting, but there's so many different types And I have a special guest on the show, and this is a prophet and apostolic leader, Graham Cook. Graham has a ministry called Brilliant Perspectives. He's in California, and he's authored over 20 books. He's been a leading prophet for decades, and he's he's invited to speak into churches, businesses, boardrooms, nations. Uh, This man carries the character and anointing of a true prophet of God. Well, welcome to the podcast, Graham. <laughs> it's great to be here. Yeah. I'm just so surprised. We were just talking about how we've been around the prophetic a long time, and our paths haven't right. crossed till now. Right. Well, maybe God saved the best to last. That yeah. helps. <laughs> he, he has a habit of doing that. <laughs> right. So why don't you just tell us right. a little bit about yourself and your ministry, what you do? Well, I'm from England. Uh, somebody has to be. And... Uh, <laughs> I've been in ministry, I think, since Noah was in short trousers. (laughs) Been around a long time on mostly Africa, Asia, um, Eastern Europe before it got fashionable. And I came to America the first time in 1991. And then I moved here in 2000. And I've been living here ever since. In uh, California, the land of fruits, nuts, and flakes. So I fit right in. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> We're based in Santa Barbara. We have uh, our TV studios here, our offices and all of that. So loads of friends, part of a good, great community of uh, millennials um, who were just exploring Jesus in a kingdom way. And so that's deeply satisfying to me. Lots of dialogue questions and people just willing to do life in a yeah. fairly unprecedented way. So. Yeah, so do you have some type of community there? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we uh, we meet um, we meet usually Tuesday evenings, often around a meal and fellowship, and then we have dialogue. We have times of worship. We have times, uh, evenings of prayer. Yeah. And then um, 
once a month, we all meet on the beach at 10 o'clock um, just to just to play. Yeah. All our, all our kids with us, we play, you know, volleyball, body surfing, you name it. Just to hang out time, just yeah. to just to be family and have our kids with us because, we, you know, the kids belong to all of us. So we want them growing up with really great uncles and aunts, you know. Yeah, that's a missing piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I love that. Sounds West Coast to me. Sounds we're in <laughs> right. Los Angeles. We love this. Right. We yeah, go to the yeah. beach every week as well. Yeah, because we can. That's exactly <laughs> right. Our weather is, um, you know, when it's not, you know, being rude or anything. Our weather is quite decent. Most yeah, of the time. it's amazing. So you've been around the prophetic for a long time. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe just uh, tell us a little bit about that or what God's put <clears throat> on your heart. Yeah, I think, you know, I started out um, in the prophetic, you know, quite by accident, really, I think, because I couldn't even spell prophecy back in those days. <laughs> I just had a friend who was going through something, and there were other people around saying, well, it's a judgment of God because of this. And, you know, and he was he had a rocky kind of a life, you know, and was learning from his mistakes, which, you know, is not the best kind of learning. But if it's all you're left with, then fine. And so he'd been getting, you know, um, prayers coming across the room at him rather than going up to the Lord, and he'd been getting comments and things like that. And I remember during a time of worship, I just walked up to him, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I said, Steve, you know, God wants you to know it's not always going to be like this. You know, you're going through this necessary you know, place of growth and development, but you're supposed to be learning about who he is for you. And God wants to be something for you at this point in time. Because all of our weaknesses are about God bringing his strength and his goodness and, you know, uh, to bear in terms of who we are. This is where you get to be made like Jesus. And just said a few things like that. And it didn't, honestly, it still doesn't feel remarkable to me at all, but a few days later, he said, man, that prophetic word was absolutely bang on the money. And I'm thinking, what? I said, what do you mean, prophetic word? He said, when you prophesied over me. I said, I, I, said, I didn't, man. I just, I just chatted to you. He said, no, man, that was a prophecy. And I thought, huh. So I went and talked to one of our elders about it. And, um, you know, and we talked about it. He said, no, that was, that, was, that was prophetic. Did you hear that? And I said, well, honestly, I don't even know. I said, it just felt low, like something was coming up out of my heart into my mind. And, uh, and I, so I just shared it. And he said, that's, that's the crispest definition of a prophecy I ever heard. He said, you know, because Graham, and I still remember that, I still teach this today. He said, Graham, God doesn't speak to your head. Why would he speak to the hardest part of you? <laughs> you know, God is inside you. So he, he lives in your head. He speaks in your spirit. And then what's in your spirit rises up into your conscious mind. And you get to hear it and feel it. And then it's a simple thing to open your mouth and say it. Wow. That, that, and, that's powerful. So that was my first ever kind of life lesson in prophecy. And, and then I thought, well, I wonder if I could do it again. And so I said to the Lord, um, I don't. I don't know if that was a one-off, or but if you're interested, I'd be happy to do it again if you want. Because I didn't even know how to be with God in it, you know. 
And then it happened again with another friend, and then again, and then again, and here we are 40-something years later, and still hearing that voice rise up in my spirit. Yeah, now is that the way you normally hear God? Is that I love asking prophetic people, how do you hear God? Yeah, sometimes I see things, and so you learn to um, interpret what you see rather than explain it. But most of the time, I hear it in my heart, you know, or God allows me to see what he sees in that person. You know, so sometimes you look at a person and they're they're showing you, in a sense, what's wrong with them. You know, just their expressions, their language, their posture and so on. You know that they're going through difficulties. Well, you don't talk about that because you never prophesy the first thing you get anyway. If you're seeing something, you always prophesy what comes second. You know, if you don't prophesy the problem. Uh, you know, the Lord says that you're going through this time of difficulty and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't need to say any of that. You just need to look at them and say, you know, I know you see yourself differently right now. This is how the Lord sees you. It's a little like Gideon hanging out in a wine press, making bread like you do when you're depressed. You know, and he's got issues. God only picks people with issues. And he's got, you know, he's got a healthy, low self-esteem <laughs> And he's angry about all kinds of stuff. And he doesn't feel capable of doing anything. I'm the youngest in the poorest family. You know, all this is against me. And God just shows up and doesn't talk to any of that. He just says, hello, Gideon, you're a valiant warrior. And then Gideon's going, what do you mean? I'm not anything like that. And then he up comes out all of his issues. And it's interesting that, God doesn't respond to anything he says. He just says, I've called you to deliver Israel. And then, you know, Gideon spouts off something more about what is not. And the Lord says, Gideon, go in this, your strength. It's like I'm giving you a gift of strength. Go in this. So God resolutely ignores all of our negativity because he's seen something that he's calling us up to. Fascinating with me is, God doesn't call us out on our stuff. He calls us up to his. And so I've always seen prophecy in that light. It doesn't matter what you bring when you come to a meeting or whatever. It's how God sees you that's the vital thing. And he's always going to talk to Jesus in you. You know, because I love that. You know, all of heaven is attracted to Jesus in us. So why wouldn't God speak to the Christ in you? since he's living there. Why would he speak to your old man when the new man is so much more compelling to him? You know? So, and I love the fact that then you get to connect with the Father's love for Jesus in people. And so we're always calling people up. We're always saying, no, really, this this is how God sees you. When you get a prophetic word, it should be like, this is how you're known in heaven. This is how God sees you. This is how you're known. I gave a prophetic word to one girl, and um, all I saw, I saw a picture of, of, of a woman dancing. And uh, so I just said, Lord, what does that mean? He said, I want you to tell her this. Tell her to carry on doing on earth what in heaven she's famous for. Mm. And, and that's all I had. No point in padding it. That's all I've got. And she starts crying. And then I hear the backstory. She's from a family that's had depression in its history for a long time. 
And so, you know, she cuts herself occasionally and, you know, self-harms. And, but when her husband goes to work, kids go to school, she'll move, physically move all the furniture in her living room to create space. And then she'll put a worship album on and she'll dance. And she dances every day because it's her way of communing with God. And so then this idiot Englishman comes up and and just said, the Lord just says to you, carry on doing on earth what in heaven you're famous for. Mm. And, you know, that, that thing, you're famous in heaven, broke the depression. I didn't even pray about it, Doug. It broke the depression. Because suddenly she realizes, oh, my gosh, heaven's been looking at me. And it changed everything. Mm. I think that's the I think that's the prophetic. That yeah, is know? that is. It reminds me of you know I actually started out in um, prophetic evangelism and right. you know, just being out there renting booths at New Age shows and right. this exa- what you just described is exactly what we were doing is going right. we were telling people you know calling them up or telling them these things and that's so amazing it's the yeah. Lord's heart. Yeah, yeah. What fascinates me is a story you learn afterwards and sometimes. But the shortest words I have often have the most impact. And so I remember in a conference just looking at a woman and saying to her, this is all I've got. The Lord says, what happened to your mom will not happen to you. Mm. Her, Her mother died of cancer when she was 38. Her older sister died of cancer when she's 38. This woman's 37. And she's living in fear. And I just said, this is all I've got, sweetie. The Lord says, what happened to your mom will not happen to you. She burst into tears. And um, oh, and the other thing, too, is she'd just been diagnosed in first-stage cancer. Wow. So, you know, and she's still going. That was like 20 years ago. Isn't she's still amazing. going. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, was there ever a point in your life that you, like, uh, that you realized or felt called by God to, into being a prophet? Well, eventually I did, yeah, because it kept happening, you know. So then I went and talked to my mentors, and I had some fascinating mentors, and, you know, and they just said, um, why don't we just, first of all, let's not use the, the prophet word. Why don't we just get you used to moving in the gift of prophecy? And um, so I began to learn that, and then about three years later, they said, you know, they could see a progression, so they said, well, let's teach you about prophetic ministry, which is like the next step up and so on. And then I was in that place for about five to eight years, really learning to listen for, you know, groups and churches and and so on, and beginning to, you know, just really release encouragement everywhere I went, because, you know, the the gift of prophecy, it's a river of encouragement that every church needs. You know, simple edification, exhortation, and comfort. Simple stuff. And then the prophetic thing, the, the ministry then begins to open up and release things about the future. You know, the Lord says you're going to be doing this, or I see you in this place, or that. And, and it relates to more than just the stuff of life. It relates to present future. You know, um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know that I know the thoughts I have for you, you know, to give you a future and a hope that God is with us in the present, 
talking to us about the future. And sometimes, you know, the antidote to the past is not the present being sorted out, it's the future being determined. So like with Gideon, God gives him a word about his future that completely, you know, almost does battle with his preoccupation with the past. And it releases, that's what releases us in the present, is that God knows who we are and he knows, you know, what we're called to. And, and until that happens, everyone's got a story with God, but not everyone has got a journey with God. And the prophetic is what opens up, you know, the, the, the journey with God. And so that makes your story in terms of who you're becoming now more compelling, you know, more up to the minute with the Lord, because now I know that I'm designed to do this. You know, this is my role in the kingdom kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And so story and journey, everyone's got a story and everyone's on a journey. So the prophetic really should fit comfortably between those two constructs. That's the context. It's, they're either going to prophesy about your story with God and the upgrade in your relationship, or they're going to prophesy about your calling and, you know, and your partnership with the Holy Spirit in Christ. So I love those two elements because it creates a place of safety for individuals and for the prophetic ministry and for church leadership who's got to follow up on that stuff later. It gives them a context for how they disciple and release people. Yeah. So I love that. I love the fact that we get to be part of that cycle of partnership and growth and development for people and groups. Yeah, exactly. So taking that, because you said, I love this, the storyline of the past, you know, the Lord uses that, Ooh. the prophetic, and then now it, it releases the future. So what what do you think about the the prophetic <clears throat> ministry right now? I mean, even our storyline of the past, and what's it looking like right now for the future? Um. It's hard to tell with some ministries, really, because I think a lot of stuff in the prophetic is it's almost uh, fads or trends. You know, God's going to release, you know, is it, most of them about revival. And um, when any student of Scripture knows that we're already in a revival because Christ is in us. Exactly. What we need to do is get up to speed with who he is and start listening and, and becoming. And in that context, you are your own revival. You know, and then if God wants to, you know, do anything larger than that, but uh, what if it's not larger than that? What if it's, what if the revivals of the past have got nothing to teach us about revivals of the future? You know, just because God did it once doesn't mean he's going to do it the same way twice. You know, so what if the revival that really should be here is not through a superstar ministry. What if it's just a nameless, faceless generation of people all rising up in their relationship with God and doing what seems good to the Holy Spirit? And then seeing the impact of that corporate man rising up in a city and the impact it can have on the community and the structure of how that city operates. You know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm much more interested in that Revival as a lifestyle rather than revival as an event. Yeah. Yeah, but a lot of prophetic words, they're going on about revivals and as events. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that's really in the Lord's heart. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying I'm not sure. I don't see the evidence of it. 
And, and it's fascinating to me is that every revival that started through an individual ministry never made it. They all dissipated at some point um, because it was always in the domain of ministry and never in the domain of church family or kingdom. Right, exactly. You know, so in the end, we lost a lot of those movements all dissipated and not in a good way either. You know, um, so I, 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 I'm much more comfortable with talking about, hey, this is the life that God wants you to have. So everything we do in ministry here at Brilliant is all about your story, your journey. It's all about, you know, how do we get you from A you know, to F, and then from F to N, and so on. Um, what are the steps that we're taking? Let's teach you how to walk with the Lord. Let's teach you how to see like the Lord, think like Him, talk like Him, stand like Him, and walk like Him. Since Genesis one twenty six is still the big passion for God. Let's make man in our image. Let's teach him to laugh like we laugh. Let's teach him to see and think like we do. Let's teach them to be overcomers. Let's teach them not to be worried about anything, but always to be joyful. Let's teach them not to be stressed, but just to be in peace. Let's, let's make them in our image, you know? And so everything we do is curated around that particular passion. So I love talking about peace and, you know, the beauty of patience. And I, I love the whole idea that the fruit of the Spirit, you know, is part of our overcoming nature. You know, that you can make the enemy weary by learning how to rejoice. (laughs) That will be be fun. You can make the enemy anxious just by being peaceful. I love that. Yeah. I love that the fruit of the Spirit, you know, Scripture says there is no law against the fruit of the Spirit. What it means is nothing works against the nature of God. Nothing works. So, you know, I've made a career out of being patient and I love the kindness of God. That's my big testimony, Doug. He's the kindest person I've ever met in my entire life. Um, 24 years or so ago, the Lord said, Graham, I'm going to teach you about my kindness. And I was thinking, oh, that'll be great. I was thinking, you know, that'd be great for a week or two. 24 years later, I'm still learning. <laughs> but what it's meant for me is there has not been a single day in that time where he has not said something or done something that wasn't kind. And so he marinates you in it. He overwhelms you with it. What God is, he is relentlessly. And I have discovered him to be relentlessly kind. Until now, it's become my life. And it's become my expectation, my anticipation. I expect God to be kind today. And then tomorrow, and then the day after, and next week, and next month, and next year. I am steeped in it, marinated in it. It's all through the substance of who I am, is the kindness of God. So I teach from that perspective, you know. He's the kindest person. Then I discovered that he wanted to teach me about joy, and I discovered he was the happiest person ever. (laughs) And then he taught me about, hey, how about, how about we don't talk about stress or anxiety? What if, what if we talk about rest and peace? What if I teach you how to be restful? And when he started teaching me about peace, it was so amazing. And then what happened was 
um, because he is, he is relentless, I, I lost the ability to worry. And I can't remember the last time I did, but I'm pretty sure it's at least 12 years ago. I completely lost the capacity to be anxious. All I know is the Prince of Peace walked into my life one day and never left. That's amazing. Took up residence. And I think that's what being in Christ really is. That's what being in the new man in Christ really is. The old man died, and Jesus never resurrected him. And, uh, but we were resurrected in newness of life. So that means that God speaks to the new man differently than he would have spoken to the old. Because he speaks to the new man in Christ, and he's constantly calling us up in Jesus. I look around at people. I adore people, you know. But I think that I don't like it when people make themselves feel superior to somebody else, or they make somebody else inferior, or they try and make everybody equal. No one's inferior, no one's superior, and no one's equal. We're all unique and incredible. And God deals with all of us in a unique way. So what the Lord says to, you know, maybe uh, a prophet in their 20s might be different than what he says to, to one in their 60s. But their, their journey may have been different, and he will have dealt with each one of them uniquely and, you know, personally. And I love the genius of the Holy Spirit in that, that so capable of talking to individuals in an individualistic way. You know, I, um, he's not doing anything, he's not doing anything homogenous in that sense, you know. Exactly. Um, putting everybody in a, in, a, in a meeting, putting you all on the same growth path. You know, whatever your revelation you're giving to people, you know the Holy Spirit's going to take it and use it differently in that entire people group. Some people are going to get things out of it, that message that you never actually said. Right. <laughs> and other people are going to get the core of it. Other people are going to get stuff on the periphery. But everyone's going to get something, you know, that's in relation to who they are now and how they're thinking. Because the Holy Spirit is just a genius at life. Exactly. So when it comes to, like, you know, churches and so on, the whole idea that you can develop everyone in a two-hour meeting on a Sunday morning has to be the biggest lunacy ever. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just love this where, you know, I talk about revival, but I've been, you know, I'm coming from a, an evangelistic standpoint of a new, right, trying yeah. to introduce a new wineskin. But when you said we are revival, right, that's, that's, that is it right there. Right. That it's a lifestyle right. that, that we develop a lifestyle of, of the fruit of the spirit. And that's right. what changes, you know, yeah. it changes our family. And, and grandma, it sounds like we've been on the same similar path. Right. I've had to walk through this thing of, of coming into the kindness of God and understanding him that way. And, and it's been changing my heart. First of all, changed my house. Right. And then when it changes your household, it changes everybody around you. Then it changes your right. ministry. It changes it does. people at Starbucks. It just right. changes 
it's it's as I don't know. It's a supernatural effect. It's so amazing. I just love that. I love the the uh, identity thing. Once you, you know that you're talking about, you know, that right. identity of who God is, and then lining right. ourselves up with that. Yeah, yeah. I think identity is the key to transformation. When you discover who you are in Jesus, in the new man, why would you want to be bothered with the old man anymore? But it almost seems like so much teaching is geared towards upgrading the old man, which is a little like, you know, um, resurrecting a corpse and trying to give it plastic surgery. Yeah. I mean, it's really strange. And and, um, why in the church, why is the church so sin conscious when God isn't? Because Jesus dealt with sin. So the issue is, you know, did Jesus deal with sin or not? If God is giving us permission to consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to him, what's he going to be doing? He's not going to be talking to us about the old stuff that's already in the grave. He's talking about the new man that got resurrected. So everything God is doing in the kingdom is towards the new man. It seems that everything we're doing in a religious construct is towards the old. We're we're trying to fix what God said, you know, this is too bad to be cleansed. It has to be crucified. Mm. So he puts us into Christ on the cross because he doesn't want to fix us. Nobody in the Godhead wants the job of fixing our old man. (laughs) So they make this brilliant determination that Jesus will come and die for the sins of humanity. And then while he's on the cross, God puts us on the cross with him. So he doesn't just die for us. He dies as us. And then we go into the grave, and when he gets resurrected, you know, and we get resurrected with him, our old man doesn't get resurrected. It's dead. And so a part of discipling is, you know, we're not trying to fix the old because it's dead. What we're going to do is teach you how to be new. You know, so the new is the antidote. So what is God doing in you that's new? When people come and say, oh, I've got this problem, my, my heart just says, what if you haven't? What if your biggest problem is you don't know who you are in Jesus? I'm always anxious. Yeah, but what if God isn't dealing with your anxiety? What if he's trying to teach you how to live in peace? I've got this anger issue. And Christians going to anger management classes, it does my head in. It's like, what if you haven't got an anger problem because it died on the cross? What if God has been trying to teach you patience or gentleness and you're resisting it? So the antidote to the old has to be the new. So what is God replacing? So if he's giving beauty for ashes, what if he's giving patience for anger or peace for anxiety? So what if we're resisting the, you know, the grace to be peaceful? So I'm just saying to people, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's try it my way for a month, and if it doesn't work, we'll try it your way. And we'll give you radical shock therapy or whatever it is you feel you need. (laughs) But let's try it my way for a month, and I'll teach you how to be in peace for a month. I'll teach you how to come into peace, how to live in peace, how to walk in peace, how to push away any anxiety and so on, and how to welcome peace. So we do it for a month, and they've never gone back. And then they say, okay, so now let's do it with that anger thing that you think you've got. Why don't we teach you kindness or gentleness, you know? 
And so the antidote to everything is the new man in Jesus. All the old things have passed away. Behold, see, all things have become new, and all those things are from God. So you know the new man is totally from God, but the old man, it's dead. No one in the Godhead wanted the job of discipling the old man. And uh, no one on earth should be bothered about counseling it. We need to be discipling, you know, uh, the new man into a place of growth and expectation in Jesus. So the prophetic has to flow down that road, too, because you can't have the prophetic and, you know, teaching the word and discipling. You can't have them at odds with each other. They have to flow together. So when I'm prophesying to people, I'm calling them up into who they are, and I'm saying this is the antidote to that. You focus on this, and this will go away because it's already dead. So then we're just, you know, sitting around changing each other's mindset, lens, and language. So in the community I'm part of, you know, when people, uh, it's interesting, people who've grown up in a, in a, like a religious environment, um, all their thinking comes from the world. So they're always afraid of something. Isn't there danger of this? Isn't there fear of that? And the first thing out of people's mouths is negative. But we don't allow that in our community. It's like, so we want to reframe that. So I I'll just hold my hand up and say, do you think there's a better way of saying that? So if Jesus, just imagine for a minute that Jesus was actually living on the inside of you. What do you think he would say about that? Why don't we listen to that? Uh, so let's reframe it. Uh, let's turn a problem into a possibility, you know, and then go explore the possibility. So let's not get in full of angst about this problem, but maybe, you know, maybe this problem is pointing to a provision. Maybe it's pointing to something that God wants to do. Let's explore that possibility because Jesus said all things are now possible. What was impossible with man is now totally, completely, and utterly possible with God. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about a possibility. Then watching this group, you know, of millennials, you know, 20s to 30s, all just like seeing their mindset change, their lens uh, become changed so they can see things differently. And then their language, you know, and how they learn quickly how to self-correct. and say, oh, no, I didn't mean that. I think I mean this. And, and then watching their language with each other. Grow. And they've all probably, in the last 12 months, there isn't one of them that hasn't made three or four years growth. Wow. And all we're doing is we're just saying, you know, Christ is in you, and, and now you're a new creation. The old's passed away. Everything's of God here. You've got Jesus here. You've got the Holy Spirit. And their job is to mentor you into becoming made in the image of God. So then all our ministries, teacher, pastoral, evangelist, prophet, apostle, we're all geared to the same end. You know, and if we did that across the city, we have just, I reckon I could take Santa Barbara with 50 people who were just totally living in the new man. That's all it would take, because they would be extraordinary. And you can't be in Christ and be mediocre. I think it's against the law. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the answer is right there in Scripture. 
It's right there in front of us. And I think maybe it's the difference between living in the kingdom and living in the church in the world. Yeah. You know, the kingdom is an all-encompassing power. I was with a friend of mine a few weeks, a few, uh, no, actually a few years back now. And uh, we were chatting in his house and his two daughters were playing. And uh, his phone rang and he said, oh, I've got to take this. And he stepped out of the room. And I was watching the girls and they were, and they were, um, they were chatting. And the older, the older girl, she was like six. And she said, oh, we're going to church tomorrow. And the younger one, Emily, who's like three to four, she said, we can't go to church. We are the church. <laughs> and, and the older sister said, what do you mean? She said, we are the church because, you know, we're in the kingdom. And the, the oldest one said, what's the kingdom? And the four-year-old says, the kingdom is the rule of God on earth. And we're all part of it. I'm sat there, goosebumps on my goosebumps. And then Steve comes back in and I said, you'll never guess what Em just said. They went, oh, tell me. He said, the Holy Spirit's been all over her for like the last six months. And so I told him what she said, and he said, yeah, you know. When I'm, listening, when I'm wanting to give a talk, he said, I, I go and talk to Emily and say, what do you think about this? She comes out with stuff, you know. Wow. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Graham, there is no junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that will talk to an apostle will talk to a four-year-old girl. There's no junior Holy Spirit here. There's just life in the kingdom. Yeah. Kingdom is the all-encompassing rule of God on earth, four-year-old. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I want her on my team when she grows up. Exactly. Wow, wisdom. <laughs> you know, uh, I was going to ask you what God's doing right now, but I think you're answering this. You know, it sounds like what God is doing right now is he's changing our paradigm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think the important thing is, I think the church does need to return to honoring the sacrifice of Jesus by stop working with the old man and just start working with the new. Stop being sin-conscious and beholdenness focused There's a difference between the two. You know, we don't have to teach people how to avoid sin. We need to teach them how to adore holiness we don't need to teach people about four ways to get rid of your anxiety. We need to teach them, hey, there are just six steps in becoming a really peaceful person. You know, we need to stop working on the negative and start working on the provision that's actually right there under our nose. Um, and I think it would be great if the church could stop being sin conscious about everything. And because out of that comes anger, hatred, judgment, all that stuff. Shame, guilt, condemnation. God doesn't do any of that because you're in Christ. Do you think he's going to condemn you in Christ? Seriously, seriously flawed theology. And then we're teaching people the mind of Christ. I mean, if the renewal of the mind is the essence of transformation, doesn't everybody out there want to know how to think properly? I did this... Um, conference in 2011 called The Art of Thinking Brilliantly. And I was absolutely staggered at the response from people who said, I, I don't know how to think in Jesus. I, you know, I'm just like stuck with all of the thoughts I've always ever had. Um, but the mind of Christ really is about changing your lens, the way you see things. And what you see affects how you think. And what you think affects how you speak. 
So the three parts of identity upgrade is seeing things, perspective, mind of Christ, thinking brilliantly, and the language of God, how God actually speaks. And uh, most people don't want to get in touch with God because they're convinced he's just going to, you know, talk badly to them, that they're going to hear God say stuff about them, and they're going to feel guilty and shame. And a lot of that is because that's what they get in that religious place, you know. But in the kingdom, it's like, often when I'm training people in the prophetic, I said just, if there's a particular fruit of the Spirit that you feel drawn to, then let's start your prophetic ministry off by learning that voice. So if you're drawn to joy, in the voice that inside you that is happiest, listen to that one. If you're drawn to peace, then listen to the peacefulness, how you feel. If you're drawn to love, then you'll feel the beloved. So listen to that voice and learn that voice prophetically. Mm. And then you can learn all the others. But, you know, if you're under pressure, always go back to that original voice because that's how God will speak to you for the rest of your life. I've often said that to people. Sometimes when I sense they're in a really gone through a terrible time, then what I'm prophesying, I will say it in a very particular voice. I might say it really just with absolute kindness and grace and talk to them about what they mean to the Lord, what he's going to be doing with them, and how he's going to enjoy walking them through this process. And it's going to be so enjoyable because God is going to love to be with you in it and do it. And at the end of it, you know, we give them the recording and say, listen, when you listen to this, the first six times you listen to it, just listen to the voice, not the words, the sound of the voice, because that's how God's going to speak to you for the rest of your life. Wow. And then listen to the words. And then people come and say, I've had people come up and said, you know, you did this for me in this event. And of course, I can't remember all the people or anything. And they said, you know, I, hear, I still hear that voice, and I've been following that voice, and it's meant the world to me, mm. you know? And, so, and they've had upgrade after upgrade after upgrade in the nature of God. So they have an expectation of God's joy or kindness or peace or whatever it is, you know, the former voice they heard it in. You know, that becomes the underpinning for all of their prayer, conversation, dialogue with God about everything to do with life. And I really adore that. I, to me, that's the kingdom. And the one thing about God that makes me laugh and cry the most, Doug, is that he is unchanging. Wow. It's like, Doug, I am the Lord. I never change. I'll always be the same. I'll be the same for you like I was yesterday, today, and forever. I never change. And that means then that God's behavior towards me cannot be based upon my lifestyle. It has to be based on who he is. This is who I am. And so on days when I'm getting it, you know, brilliant. On days when I'm not getting it, he's still brilliant. On the days when I'm being followed around by the spirit of stupid, he's still brilliant towards <laughs> me. He never changes. And I can't tell you, that's one of, the, being the, one of the biggest things that's changed my life consistently 
is the joy and the expectation that God's going to be unchanging, that he's not going to deal with me according to my behavior. He's going to deal with me according to his passion for Christ in me. Yeah. That God will speak to me in the same way that he talks to Jesus. That's why he put us into Christ in the first place. So he could talk to us the same way. And then he put Christ into us so that he could only see Jesus in us. There's just a genius about how the three of them thought this whole process up and then have radically implemented it for centuries. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and the only people who don't get it are just, you know, is religious Christianity. Right. You know, systematic theology doesn't understand grace, doesn't understand the fruit of the Spirit, has no grid for experience, you know, or encounter. But the whole Bible is about experience and encounter. My goodness. Yeah. So and that, to me, the, you know, the, the, ex, the exponential effect of all of that is that people rise up in cities and towns and, you know, villages and become the face and the hands and the voice of God yeah. to their whole community. This is what God is like. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It reminds me of um, the Apostle Paul. You know, I got, when I grabbed, grabbed hold of this is when I did a, the Lord told me. I said, how do I take the city? And he says, well, he said, do a word study, do a search on he stayed there. And the Apostle Paul stayed there for a year. He right. stayed there three years. He stayed there five years. Right. He didn't just do a revival meeting and leave. Right. Wasn't a hit. He, he stayed there. Yeah. And we've been trying to follow that as well. And it's just a, I tell you, this has been an amazing, Graham, what you always do. I end up, I end up with pages of notes like I have right now. I'm just sure. I end up with pages of notes, feeling like I'm just sitting oh. under a golden waterfall with a weight of the Lord. I'm blaming so, Jesus for that. I'm totally blaming Jesus. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad. I'm really grateful for your ministry. And why don't you oh, just pray you. over our listeners? Yeah, sure. Father, thank you. I, I love the fact that everything you do makes us want to fall in love with you all over again. And I thank you that your blessings are new every morning. We have a fresh opportunity every single day. In fact, you don't want us to carry our problems into the next day. You want us to start afresh. And you don't even want us to carry our blessings into the next day because you're interested in giving us a whole fresh bunch to deal with. I thank you for your nature, your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace. I thank you for putting us into Jesus. What an incredibly genius move that was, that I can relax in him because he knows everything, and then giving us the incomparable Holy Spirit, who is just amazing, an amazing helper and comfort. And between these two and you, we are on this track of discovering your heartbeat for us, of opening ourselves up to absolute goodness and love and kindness and grace and joy and peace. And this is our lifestyle, that we're in the world but we're not subject to it. We're in the kingdom, and different rules apply. The world deals with problems. The kingdom deals with possibilities. I love you for that. I love the fact that the world deals with our personality, but you deal with our identity in Jesus. And you don't see anything wrong in us because everything wrong was taken away by Jesus. And 
when you look at us now in our areas of weakness, you only see what's missing in terms of who we can become in Jesus. And you're so willing to take the provision of Jesus and put it into that place where something's missing. Mm. And I love you for that whole identity and what you bring to us and how you see us and speak to us and how you think about us and the delight that you have in each one of us. So I pray that we would all, Lord, just you would give us a fresh encounter and revelation of who you really are. And revelation is given to us so that we can revel in who you are, in the truth that sets us free. So I ask a blessing on everyone that's listening and pray that you would give us an upgrade this year that will set us on a different course for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Powerful. Well, Graham, why don't you just tell us how to get in touch with you or for our listeners or anything that you have to offer? Uh, Yeah, well, there's three parts to Brilliant. Uh, One is... um, Brilliant Perspectives. We do two blogs a week, so you can just sign up to brilliantperspectives.com or there's Brilliant TV where there's loads of programs. Um, All of our major programs are free. You just pay $5 a week for a mentoring class that I do. So, And then we have Brilliant Bookhouse, which is all our books and CDs and blah, blah, whatever. So brilliant. (laughs) <laughs> that's brilliant. brilliant. I, I love that brilliant. name because it's so brilliant English. TV. Yeah, it is really. Well, I love that. I, I always feel that God is brilliant. Everything He does is so brilliant, so bright, you know, and wonderful. Yeah. yeah, so brilliant. Good name for us. Good name for us to live up to. It is. We've been talking with Graham Cook of uh, Brilliant Perspectives, and just want to really thank you, Graham, for taking the time, and we really want to connect with you again. I, I would love to. I really enjoyed this. And I never realized that we were geographically so close. So we need to do something about that. Yeah, have some, have <laughs> that, some coffee That would soon. be fun. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, right. thank you Alrighty. so much, Grandma. God bless everybody. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Spirit Connection with Doug Addison. Connect with him online at DougAddison.com.